Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. I have been pondering on the words of Jesus the last couple of weeks as we have gone through this series and looked at the different aspects of the divine character of God as presented and represented in the life and the works of Jesus. And today I want to share with you an aspect of what Jesus came to bring to us and how he came to minister and what he continues to do even now in our lives. As you read the scriptures, it's easy to go from one fast-paced story to another, to just simply uh, kind of get through reading uh, one account, and then we, we quickly go to the next one, almost without even uh, internalizing or thinking about what we just read. I, I know that's especially the case for me as I, I look through some of the gospel uh, narratives, and it's, it's very fast-paced. You, you see one thing happening, and then you turn the page, and there's, there's a whole other context of something happening. And many times, I'm left with this sense of, I wish that I had more explanation about what I just read. I I wish that there was a little more to understand about what I just witnessed, what I just experienced in in the scriptures there. And today, we're going to uh, have maybe a a little intermission in the teaching of Jesus. We're going to get an opportunity to have a bigger explanation of something that he said, a statement which Jesus said that should stick with us. We should chew on it. We should digest it. We should ponder it. It, it, This should be a statement that we really take to heart and we start to see in our lives where this is coming to fulfillment, where this is actually being worked out in our own lives. And so uh, today we're going to get a little deeper explanation. And here is the declaration of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 12. Here's what he said. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is in verse 12 of chapter 8. But in verses 1 through 3, it tells us that Jesus uh, woke up early in the morning. He came out to the synagogue, and he sat down and began to teach them. Now, before Jesus says that I am the light of the world, he was already in full stream of an entire teaching message. He was teaching them in this moment. And right in the onset of his teaching, right as he's making his greatest points, the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, the the religious establishment of Jesus' day, brings to him a woman, sits her in the midst of the assembly. If you could imagine, it would be like just interrupting the message right now and someone bringing down a woman and just letting her stand right there in the middle, all shame-filled and horrified that she's in front of this great assembly and this great crowd of people. The Pharisees bring her to Jesus, and here is the charge. Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, it's one thing to have rumors and something written about you, maybe some photos that are uh, unflattering and they're shared on social media. It's one thing to have something that is talked about, but when you have been caught in the very act of doing it, apprehended and brought before a council, you talk about shame and guilt and condemnation. I don't know of any more humiliating circumstance that this woman could have. And she finds herself right in the middle of church, 
right in the middle of the synagogue for everyone to stare holes through her for what she has done. Now, a couple of things should come to our minds as we read a story like this. Number one, why were the Pharisees even close enough to the very act of adultery to be able to catch her there, first of all, that they could bring her and bring this accusation? But we should also understand that the scripture tells us that they brought her to Jesus as a test. This really had a little bit to do with the woman. It had a, a lot more to do with their beef with Jesus and the teaching that he had had and the great following and the crowd that he had been gathering. Really, this was a test to see if they could trip Jesus up into saying something or doing something that they could rightfully, according to their law, charge him with blasphemy, with heresy, with some newfangled teaching. And Jesus was bringing all kinds of upheaval to their teaching all the time. And so as she's standing there, Jesus does something very interesting. The accusation is made. We know why she's there. The scripture is very clear why she's there. The crowd knows, she knows, and Jesus knows. And Jesus does something we never see him do in scripture anywhere else. He stoops down and he begins to write in the dust. The only time we ever see recorded that Jesus wrote anything, Jesus didn't write the Bible. Human authors, divinely inspired by God, wrote the scriptures. And so we see Jesus writing in the dust. And the accusations are coming one from another. She does not give any defense of herself. After all, she's been caught. She's been caught red-handed. She was guilty. Jesus doesn't even dispute the guilt. He doesn't dispute the charge. He says these words, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. He didn't let the woman off the hook. He didn't say that she was right or wrong. He said, how about this? All of you in the crowd, including those that brought her, let those who have no sin, you are morally superior. You have nothing by which that you would ever be ashamed of. You cast the first stone. Jesus didn't even say or dispute that the law of Moses said that she should be stoned. He didn't even contradict that. And the scripture tells us that from the oldest in the crowd to the youngest, they began to drop their stones. I, I often wonder why from the oldest to the youngest? You know, something happens with a little bit of maturity, a little bit of age that you recognize and you realize that in your 20s, when you had it all figured out, you get to your 30s and realize maybe I don't have it all figured out, but I probably do. And I will figure it out by the time I get to 40. You get in your 40s and your 50s, and then you get a little bit beyond that, and all of a sudden you realize you look back at life and say, man, I really had it wrong in my 20s and 30s. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things I wish I could have told a younger me because they knew and they were convicted in their hearts and their conscience. God speaks up on the inside of us. They knew that the trap that they had set for Jesus had just been sprung on themselves. <laughs> Jesus looks up at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? At this point, I imagine that she probably looked around. She heard the, the thuds of the stone. I don't even know that she would have even been looking at the crowd. Probably she closed her eyes and waited for the stones to come and to, to be castigated upon her because she knew that she was certain for a sentence of death at this point. And you can imagine that as she opens her eyes to look around, there's Jesus and an empty Colosseum, an empty synagogue, an empty outer court. 
And Jesus says this. Where are your accusers? She looks, they're gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. In other words, Jesus is saying to her, you have a prime opportunity in life. Unlike anyone in your era or has stood before this council before, you have an opportunity of repentance to change your way, to have a new start in life, to turn the page and do something no one else has ever been able to do because before they couldn't walk out of here under their own power. They had to be carried out of here and buried because now you have met grace, you have met truth, you have met mercy in the person and the loving kindness of Jesus. Go and sin no more. Revolutionary. And here we have, as we compare the scripture to our day, a cart and horse problem. The cart and horse problem is that sometimes we get the cart in front of the horse. I know in in a lot of uh, circles that I have read about or, or maybe even been part of at one time, there is this sense of which as the people of God, we need to tell everybody exactly what they're doing wrong and we need to bring about this, this level of, of uh, uh, the bearing of God's law upon them. But we want to be quick to tell them, now I'm not going to judge you, but go and sin no more. Jesus let them tell all of her story. Jesus took context of everything in her life. And he never let her off the hook or let them off the hook. He was full of grace and truth. And he says, go and sin no more. And I think we have to get the emphasis on the right syllable as believers When we say to people, neither do I condemn you. This isn't about condemnation. This is about the loving kindness and grace of God that tells you now is an opportune time. There is a season. There is an opportunity for repentance, for turning, and for going in freedom to sin no more. This is a promise that we have, that we don't have to sin anymore. We no longer have to be tripped up and tangled up with the quagmire of the world. We can go. And we should go and sin no more. Jesus says in verse 12, again, I want to read it. Again, Jesus spoke to them. This is now at the end of him telling the woman to leave. Apparently people were close enough. They came kind of back. And it says, Jesus said to them, after he got interrupted in his message, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Let me ask you a question. Had this woman been walking in darkness? Yeah, I think she had. Let me ask you this. Had the Pharisees and some in the crowd been walking in darkness? (laughs) Yeah, I think they had. And so Jesus is now interrupting his own message to deal with this matter that was brought front and center. And now he's giving a declaration of another I am statement. And when he's saying I am, he is putting himself on the same footing as almighty God. And this in in itself was enough to make them rouse to the point to say, okay, we need to investigate this guy a little bit more. There's something about his phraseology. There's something about the way he talks that we don't quite like who he's saying that he is. And this was actually a well-known reference in their minds of a prediction made by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 9 and 2 says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now, now imagine that Jesus, without degree, without 
proper training according to the Pharisees is telling them in, in almost this capsule form of it being veiled, yet it was right out in the open. And so they, they had a hard time. He's telling them, you all have been walking in darkness. I have come to bring the light. I am going to expose the depths of darkness in your age amongst your believing attitudes. And I am going to shine the light of God upon your path. Now, C.S. Lewis says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And here's what Jesus is telling them. I'm bringing forth the light of God to be a searchlight on your heart. I am exposing the darkness of your deeds and of your ways. And if we look at what, what Lewis is saying is that, that believing in Christianity is not simply just a mental assent to something, but it is there because by the truths of God's word, I can see everything else clearly. It all makes sense now that I have a relationship with the God of the book. Not just learning rote scriptures and memorizing things so that I can check a box and say, I read the Bible through. That's great, read the Bible through. But here's what he's saying, is that by this living Jesus, I now see everything clearer than I ever used to see. And you know, something is, is really interesting about light is that light bears witness of itself. Only those who are blind cannot see the light. But here's what they can do. Those who are blind can feel the sun ray. They can't see it. You actually cannot see the ray of sun. You think that you see like an image, but, but you, you're seeing something that is not really visible other than with some, maybe some moisture cast on it or something like that. But you can feel the light. You can feel it. There's something on the inside. And even those who are walking in darkness, even in this moment, in this hour, in this day, those in your family, those friends, those relatives, those people that are close to you, that don't understand why you do what you do as a believer, they may not be able to clearly see it with their own eyes, but they can feel it in their heart that there is something different. And Jesus says that whoever follows him will not walk in the darkness. That means you'll have a bearing of a witness to the light. And the light of your life will bear witness to other people. When I was 15 years old, there was a man named David who began to witness to me. And he began to tell me about the things of God. And at the time I wasn't interested in the things of God, but he began to tell me more and more about the things of God, but more so than what he told me, which was fascinating in and of itself. There was something about his witness. There was something about the light on the inside. His life attracted me like a moth to a flame. I couldn't stay away. I wanted to know more because there was something on the inside of him that he had I didn't have. And I wanted that. And your witness is, is speaking to somebody. Your light is warming someone in your life. And they may be turning a blind eye and a deaf ear right now. You may think that you're not getting through it all, but I wanna say, keep witnessing. Keep planting, keep watering. You never know when that, that little ray of light will break through. In my life, I, I've been blessed to have a ray of light in all of my life. The first Christian that I ever have known, and I would dare to say the best Christian that I know is sitting right over here today. Grandma Schutz is a light in my life. Her witness is attractive. Now I'm not saying she's perfect. She has her faults and she has her flaws, but there is a witness, there is a light that she shines and there is something that is, is rock solid about her faith in Jesus that I know because I know 
that she knows him. There is something about the light that radiates from us being a follower of Jesus. And this is the promise that Jesus said, if you will follow him, you won't walk in darkness, but you will walk in the light of life. And I told you last week, the word life is zoe in the Greek. It is the God kind of life. It is the eternal life that only Jesus can offer. Now, in verses 13 through 20, you can read those when you get home, but this is a debate that the Pharisees have with Jesus regarding his authority. By what authority do you do this? And and by what witness uh, are you saying this? And Jesus is talking about the light and he's saying, well, if a person bears witness of themselves, of course, that's not enough. You have to have another uh, collaborator, someone who is, is gonna corroborate your story. And so he said, I bear witness of me and my father bears witness of me. And if you've seen me, then you've seen the father. And this was enough. They had marked it down. He's a blasphemy man. He is going to get taken out to the hill. He's gonna die for this. But they have this, this talk that ensues. And, and when Jesus is talking about the light, it brings back to their notion in their mind, Genesis 1 and 3, when God said, let there be light. What was the purpose of the light in the beginning? It was to separate the darkness. It was to make sure that there was a, a differentiation between the day and the night. And basically when God brought the light to bear at the very beginning, now Jesus is uncreated. He is the uncreated God, the the second person of the Godhead, the the divine manifestation that God is in flesh incarnate. But what Jesus is referencing is that the light came to separate darkness and to stop chaos. Darkness is always a reference of chaos. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the light, what he's saying is you now have the ability to stop the chaos that is in your life. You don't have to walk around in total chaos. Does that mean that you're never gonna have a problem that seems a little insurmountable? Yes, you will still have problems. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, troubles, trials, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. That's the promise of God. And so the light of Jesus lets us know, it gives us the assurance that chaos cannot reign and run rampant in our lives. Chaos may creep in. Difficulties may rise up. Troubles will surely come. There will look to be insurmountable odds at times, but when we walk in the light of Jesus, we know that chaos cannot stay, but it must go. Here's the other good thing about light, is that light is a disinfectant. Light will, will eradicate bad things and, and, and uh, disease and bacteria. It, it just cannot live in the light in the ray of the sun. Now, they didn't scientifically know that then, but Jesus was bringing about the light of God into the sin-sick spiritual condition of the soul. And so by bringing that woman to his feet, they, they basically set Jesus up for an illustrated message that he got to go ahead and preach in real time right before them because the darkness of her life and of their hearts were brought to full bear before him and him declaring, I am the light of the world. He disinfected the entire situation. In the full light of day, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And if you walk in me, you will not walk in this kind of darkness anymore, but you will have life. And light is a great disinfectant. We would do good to let the searchlight of God's word bear upon our soul, bear upon our life, bring into the light the dark deeds of our lives, bring everything into the light. And so when they're having this discussion about who's giving this witness, 
Who bears the authority to be able to say the things that, that you're saying? Then this whole concept of witness comes to bear, and we should look at what is a witness. What does a witness actually do? A witness testifies to either something that they know, that they've heard, or they've seen. In the court of law, there are such things as character witnesses, and someone will recruit uh, maybe a longtime uh, friend, a family member, an employer, someone of high standing in the society that knows them to kind of vouch for their character. So there is a character witness. Yeah, I can say that this person is who they say they are, that they, they do the right things. It's a character witness. There are also expert witnesses. They may not know the defendant at all, but they will come and they'll testify, they'll tell of what their expertise is, what they have been trained in, forensics or the study of, of uh, something relative to the case, an expert witness. But then there are also witnesses who will simply tell what they saw, an eyewitness, an eyewitness account. This is what we have in the four gospels. The three of them were eyewitness accounts. We see that from the very experience that people were walking with Jesus, that they had testified about what they saw. This is what I saw. You can dispute it, you can not believe it, but this is my eyewitness account. And then you also have people who will testify as a witness of what they heard. I, this is what I heard them say. This is what I heard them do. And Jesus interestingly says this on multiple occasions. He says, I do nothing on this earth unless I see my father do it and I hear my father say it. What is he talking about? He's talking about a fellowship so close with his father in heaven that he gets into a place of understanding and, and communing with God, that he knows what God wants. He knows what God is doing. He hears what God is saying. When was the last time that you really communed enough with God to feel in your inner being this sense of God is speaking back to me? That God is, is, is saying something to me through his word. That God is impressing upon me in my heart through prayer. And, and I think that probably for the believer, we get this kind of impression a whole lot more often than we would give credit to, but we probably pass it off as coincidence or we pass it off as, well, that's just me. I've got a, a personal rule for me. If I think about someone more than two times in the same day, I message them or I call them or I reach out to them. I don't look at it as a circumstance. I say, that is the spirit of God prompting me either to pray for them, to reach out for them, to do a brother check on them, to check in with them, something, some reason, why? Because the sons and the daughters of God are led by the spirit of God. And therefore the spirit of God is speaking up on the inside of us, telling us and prompting us when we should do something. Now, it's not always when I check in that someone will say, I needed that. But often someone will say, wow, you didn't even know the timing. I really needed that. And you know what that does is I smile in my heart with my father, because I recognize, thank you, Lord, I heard your voice and I obeyed. Next time that you have a prompting, next time that you have that nudge, then simply obey. And here's what I've found. You can never go wrong doing a good thing in the name of Jesus. Even offering someone a drink of water in his name, the Bible says you will in no way lose your reward. So the next time you come to visit me in my office and I offer you a drink of water, you know what the answer is, because I don't want to lose my reward, you take the drink of water. I said that about a year ago, and then someone came into my office about three months later, I offered them water, they said no. I said, you haven't been in church, have you? You need to go back and watch the service. 
Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I wanna ask you a question. How are you walking in these days? How are you walking? Are you walking in a little bit of a dimly lit way? Are you groping in darkness because you can't see anything? Or can you take full strides because you're walking in the light of life? Now, just because darkness has intensified in our day, can anybody testify darkness has intensified in our day? We are engaged in spiritual warfare with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places and hosts of wickedness. There is a a darkness upon our world that is, is trying to woo us away from the things of God and go into, like the Tower of Babel, finding out a way that we can build intelligence, artificial if it must be, to get to heaven or be like God ourselves that we can monkey around and mess around with the the biology of these bodies so that we can change from one sex to another, from one biological sex to another. There's only but two, it's male and female. I'm sorry, there's no others, that's it. There's male and female. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And anything that would try to alter that image is really an antichrist satanic assault upon the image of God in the human being. Let's recognize it for what it is, is an assault. And we would certainly condemn other countries for uh, mutilating genitalia of children by a knife or some kind of surgical procedure, but we will do it chemically in America and we'll abort children that way and think that there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's just medicine. We are advanced people. We are people of modern medicine. No, it is wickedness out of the pit of hell. It is demonic and we should stand against any attempt to try to snuff out the life, the Zoe life of God. God is pro-life and God is pro-choice. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. He gave us the choice. The choice is up to us. And Jesus is offering everyone this opportunity to walk in the light. This is a choice. Now, the light of Jesus is first to our eyes. John chapter 8 doesn't complete this this notion and this teaching of Jesus. In fact, what we have to understand is that in our Bibles, the chapters and verses, they were added a lot later. Like, just a couple hundred, few hundred years ago. If you keep reading past chapter eight, you're gonna come upon a story that we all well know about a, a man who was born blind. It's in John chapter nine. And Jesus comes upon this scene and there was a man who was born blind. And here was the question, because in their minds, this kind of uh, uh, an infirmity was surely the result of someone who had sinned. And so they asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? They they thought that there were only two alternatives. Be very careful about getting into dualism when someone presents to you just two alternatives because what I found is there's usually a little more to the story than that. There's usually some opinions on another side or there's some study that you aren't maybe exposed to yet. And here's what Jesus said, neither. Who sinned, his parents or this man? Jesus said, neither, neither one of them. I, I can't assign blame to either one. And now they're really scratching their heads because it's messing up their theology. They have to have somebody who was palpable for doing those kinds of things. Somebody who had really been behind this 
for this man to be born with this kind of infirmity. And Jesus said, no, it's neither one of them, but so that the glory of God may be manifest in this situation. He spits into the dirt, he makes the mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. And this was a little bit of a dangerous thing to do actually because uh, we get into these, these signs and miracles and wonders and we want to replicate what we've seen done before. And we get that from a long line of our history because the disciples try to do the same thing. Not every time that Jesus healed someone of blindness did he spit in the dirt. But on this particular occasion, he spit in the dirt, he made mud, he put it on the man's eyes and he wiped it out of his eyes and the man could see. Now, this was dangerous because the disciples are watching this. They're taking really good notes. and They're saying, ha, see there, in order to get blindness healed, all we have to do is go spit in the dirt, make some mud, put it on the man's eyes and say in the name of Jesus, and they're gonna see. But then when he sent out the 70, they came back and they said, Jesus, we've got a problem. We did the spit. Maybe we didn't have the right kind of spittle. I don't know. We did the spit. We made the mud. We put it on, but they, they weren't healed. We tried to cast out demons like you did, Jesus, but it didn't happen. Why? Because they were trying to enforce a formula. They were trying to do it like they've always seen it done. And I'm gonna tell you that right now in our day, God is moving in our land in a new and fresh way. And thank God for the yesteryear revivals and the tent meetings and the sawdust floor and, and people coming from great places and, and all around the, the country to come to a meeting, but God is moving in a different way. That was Billy Graham and Oral Roberts era. God is moving in a different way. God is moving in a new and a fresh season. And we should be open to say, God, whatever you wanna do in this season, I wanna be part of it. It may not look like I thought it should look, but I wanna be part of your move in this day. I wanna be on the wave that God is sending, not trying to make my own wave out in the ocean. So Jesus spits in the dust, he makes dirt, he, puts it, he makes mud, puts it in the man's eye, he's healed, and then he says it again, that he is the light of the world. The man who couldn't see physically, his eyes had to be open. And so the light of Jesus first comes to our natural eyes. Jesus said, if you have seen me, then you've seen the Father. John 6 and 40 says that whoever sees the Son has life. Whoever sees the S-O-N, the Son of God, has life. Next, the light of Jesus comes to the eyes of our heart. I love the old hymns because the old hymns have such deep and rich theology in them. Some of the newer songs do, but but I don't know, not as maybe succinct as the, new, the old hymns did. But there is an older song that is not a hymn that we used to sing a lot in church. It is this, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Open the eyes of my heart. Where did they get that notion? Where did the songwriter get the notion that your heart has an eye? Your heart pumps blood, it's an organ. But according to Ephesians 1 and 18, it says, having the eyes of your heart, what? Enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So yes, indeed, your heart does have eyes. The inner you has a seeing eye. There is something that you know from the inside. In, in the ancients, they, they, the best concept they had of uh, spiritual intellect of the human was to call it the heart. And it's really the inner you, the inner being. It's the, the real you. And so when scripture talks about heart, it's not talking about 
the organ that pumps blood throughout your body. It's talking about the inner you. And the inner you has an eye that is looking for God all of the time. You are sensing and looking and seeing. The spiritual you has this desire to be connected with its creator. And it's all the time reaching out. And so the apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he's saying that I want your heart to be able to see and be enlightened. I want the light to shine so that your heart can see and you will know what is the hope to which you've been called. The riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. What is that glorious inheritance? It is eternal life. It is life resurrected, life abundant. It is the Zoe God kind of life that he comes to offer. So the light of Jesus is first to our natural eyes that we can see. It is next to our spiritual eyes of our heart. But then the light of God shines upon our feet. Psalm 119 and 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, God's word allows us to navigate clearly so that we can see. God's word shines upon our pathway, our path of life. Now, we're really uh, well-versed in Psalm 119, 105. But I want to read for you 106 through 12. It says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise. You know, your praise is an offering. One of the things that we do, especially in modern church circles that we come together is that we praise and worship. Why? Why do we do that? Because our worship, the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name, that is a free will offering unto God. Now there is also a way to honor the Lord with your first fruits, with tithes and financial contributions and things, but there is all kinds of aspects and elements of worship. And here the psalmist is saying that I want you to accept, God, my free will offering, which is the praise. Oh, Lord, teach me your rules or your ways. I hold my life in my hand continually. What were they saying? That, that I'm all the time contemplating about the pathway of life. Should I go this way or should I go that way? I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart, my inner being, my spirit man, to perform your statutes forever to the end. Open the eyes of my heart. I wanna see you. God, allow your searchlight to be upon my heart and upon my way of life, my pathway of life. I don't want to take a step in the wrong direction. God, when I lift up my foot, where should I put it? Well, the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. God has a way of instructing us. And it is through his word, his precepts, his testimonies, his statutes. The ESV says his rules, God's commands. It is in the pathway of life. Now, God speaks to us through his word, but word is not just this Bible. The Bible is Logos, that is the written word. Thank you, God, for your logos. But John 1 says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld him as of the glory of the only begotten, full of grace 
and full of truth. And so Jesus, by walking through and doing life and experiencing all the things tested and suffered in all points as we are yet without sin, he is the expression and the forthgoing of not only this word, the logos of of God, but the rhema, which is a spoken word of God. And by his spirit, Jesus said, it's expedient that I go because I will send you another paraclete, another helper. And the Holy Spirit speaks up on the inside of us as the word of God coming to us, as we read God's word, as we walk in his ways, as we worship the Lord, we're offering free will offerings to God. We're doing the things that he's called us to do. We're being the kind of people he's called us to be. His spirit speaks. And even now the spirit of God is speaking, is wooing, is correcting, is directing. And so this is the rhema of God. Now, that's not to say that there's any new inspired scripture being written. You can, re- you can write wonderful books and you can read great theologians. Their works are not inspired like scripture is inspired. They may really be well studied and well thought out, but there is only this inspired word. But the word of God speaking to you, that's important as well. And that's what tells us we don't need someone else to confirm to us what God is saying It's okay if they can be a a secondary witness, but we can know in ourselves because the spirit of God is on the inside of us and he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the rhema of God comes in this way. And I'll close with this. The one thing that we all desire, every one of us, without exception, the one thing that we all desire is found in the light. 1 John 1 and 7 says this, but if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What what is it that we all desire? We all desire fellowship. We all want to find our tribe. We all want to find that community. We all desire fellowship. And we all desire to be right with God. It is that inward spiritual draw that we know We are incomplete without God. So heads bowed and no one looking around between you and God today. Have you found that true desire, that fellowship with others and that rightness with God? I'm gonna open up these altars and and encourage you. If you need to make things right with God today, this is your opportunity, this is your chance. You can walk in the light of the gospel today. You can walk in the light of Jesus and you just stand up, you step out of your seat and come down here, we'll pray with you. If you're feeling lonely and you, you need some fellowship, that desire of finding that tribe, then welcome to the family of God and that can be you today. You can come forward and you can receive that sweet communion and fellowship of brothers and sisters that are coming around you to pray and to believe with you. I'm gonna ask that we all stand together as they get ready and play. I want you to reflect upon your life and how that God has shined a light in times that are critical, in times that you needed it, God shone a light upon your path. God spoke up on the inside and told you something that you could not have known any other way except that his spirit revealed it to you. And if that's you today and you want prayer, if there's anything else in your life that you need prayer for, these altars are open. Our prayer partners will come and we'll pray with you. We'll agree with you.
Many have already shared that there are family members who are suffering with sickness and illness, some in the hospital. Some have already come forward in this service, but if you need prayer, now is the time. As they sing, would you come? We'll pray together. We'll believe God together.